is the one who saves us? What's the work specifically of God the Father? And out of all the things that we can say, let's just notice that the Father saves us by, by loving and sending. The Father loves and sends. So let me give you some scripture that I think gives us the sort of lay of the land here. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right now, it's obvious that that's talking about God the Father because he's the one who has a son to give us, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What emerges from the Bible is this picture of a heavenly father who loves. And notice two important things about his love. See that his love is even better than unconditional. Right? Unconditional love is when you love someone even though they haven't done anything to deserve it. Right? And, and that kind of love is great. But the love of God the Father is far better than that. He doesn't just love us even though we haven't earned it. No, those, those passages I just read, did you notice God loves us despite us? He loves us even though we've done a million things to deserve nothing but his wrath and anger. Right there in John 3.16, the world that God loves so much is the same world that refused to, to know his son, according to John 1.10. There in Romans chapter 5, God comes to us in love while we were still sinners. In Ephesians 2, his great love is shown to us while we were still dead in our trespasses. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. Because otherwise, none of us could possibly have any hope of ever being saved. None of us are in a position to initiate a relationship with God. We lack the desire, we lack the ability, we lack the goodness. And so God had to choose to love us first. I think this is important. It shows us that conversion doesn't come at, as the reward at the end of a long process of personal improvement, right? Conversion is something that God gives because of what's in him, love, not because of anything good in us. The second thing to notice here is that God's love is most clearly seen in the gift of his son. Now, the Bible shows us a million different ways that God demonstrates his love in the way that he cares for us every day, in the way that he makes the world and sustains it. Jesus says that God shows his love for his enemies by causing the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But if you really want to see the Father's love, the Bible says you, you look for it in the fact that he sent his son. Right, did you notice that? John three sixteen. God so loved the world. How did that translate into action? He sent his son. 
1 John chapter 4. How exactly is the love of God manifest? How is it made visible? Well, it tells us that God sent his only son into the world. Romans chapter 5, God loves sinners. So how does he show it? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We can never separate the love of God, the Father, from the gift of Christ. Jesus didn't come to convince an angry and wrathful Father not to be so mad at us anymore. He didn't come to convince the Father to love us by dying for us. No, the Father already loved us. That's why he sent his Son. There is no access to the Father's saving love outside of Christ. We only receive it in him because that's the way God shows it. The Father loves and sends. Can you see where conversion fits into that? Conversion is what the Father has brought about in your life as the result of his gift. He loves you, and so he's not content to leave you, dead in your sins, hating his law, a child of wrath. And so he sent his son, his beloved son, to die for you so that you could be reborn, so that you could be converted, so that you could be transformed, so that, so that you could be made lovely in this life and ultimately perfectly in the next. That brings us then, I think, to the work of God the Son in our conversion. And what we see in the Bible is that Jesus makes atonement for our sins and he rises from the dead so that we might live. God the Father loves and sends. God the Son dies and rises. The Father sends the Son. It turns out not primarily to teach or or to heal or to be an example for us, though he did all of those things. No, the, the most important thing that Jesus came to do, the reason why the Father sent him was to die for sinners. Again, just sticking with some of those passages that we've already looked at. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, it talks about the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake, this is the very center of the Christian faith. Of all the things that Jesus did, his incarnation, his his wonderful ministry of teaching, the great mercy and love that he showed to, to sufferers, He only gave us one thing that we should keep doing in order to remember him. Do you remember that? Jesus gave us one thing. He said, keep doing this until I return to remember me. And that is the Lord's Supper, where we specifically celebrate his crucifixion. That's how Jesus wants to be remembered by his people until he returns. In his death, his broken body, his shed blood, that's the center of our faith. That's the the work of Christ. God the Son was sent to take on human flesh, to live a life of perfect obedience to his heavenly Father, to fulfill the law of God as a man, and then to offer himself as a spotless sacrifice for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserve for our sins. He became sin for us 
He bore the punishment that his people deserved. On the cross, he exhausted the righteous and holy wrath of God the Father. That's what makes our conversion, right? What good does it do to take a guilty man and make him spiritually alive? What good would it do for God to to love people whose sin still stands against him? We need the death of Jesus to take away that guilt, to take away that stain of sin so that we can have a righteous standing before God the Father. But that's not all Jesus did because a dead man ultimately can't save anyone. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died, and then he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death as a sign that his sacrifice had been accepted by the Father. And so now Christ is alive to offer salvation to anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him. See, brothers and sisters, our conversion is wrapped up in being united to Christ in his death and resurrection. Before our conversion, the Bible tells us that we were far off, that we were alienated from God, alienated from his people, alienated from his love and his favor. But now, now that we've been spiritually united to Christ, now that we are in him, we are part of his body. His righteousness is our righteousness. His spiritual life is our spiritual life. Uh, Michael uh, took us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 a little bit ago. And we read there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? You see, that's conversion language, right? New creation. Old, gone. New has come. But I think we tend to, to read that that passage with the emphasis on the the new creation part. I think the real action is in that phrase, in Christ. Who is a new creation? Well, it's the in Christ one. How has God reconciled us to himself? Paul says, through Christ. Listen to how Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 6. He says, do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right, Paul is talking here about conversion, right? 
walking in newness of life, being set free from sin, being dead to sin, being alive to God. And notice how that happens by us being baptized into Christ's death so that his death to sin, there in verse 10, becomes our death to sin, so that his resurrection life becomes our resurrection life. Brothers and sisters, Christ came to die and to rise uh, for us so that we could be born again, so that we could be converted. Right As we're united to him, we experience all of those things. When God means to save us, the Father loves and sends. God the Son dies and rises. And that brings us then to the, the work of God the Spirit in our conversion. And the Spirit we see in Scripture quickens us and unites us to Christ. The Spirit powerfully works in us to bring our dead souls to life and to unite us to Christ so that we can benefit from all that he did for us on the cross and all that he is for us in his resurrection. We might say that the work of the Holy Spirit is to apply what the, what the Father purposed and what the Son accomplished. So the Father purposes our salvation in love he sends. Christ comes and accomplishes it by his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit takes that and applies it to us. Uh, briefly looking at a couple of scriptures in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The presence of the Spirit is the distinguishing mark of a person who's experienced regeneration, a person who's been converted. The Spirit, Paul says, is life. If you have the Spirit, he's called here the Spirit of Christ, you are alive. If you don't have the Spirit dwelling inside, you are dead. You are unregenerate. You are unconverted. Right? As we even were thinking about just during the Q&A time, right before our conversion, God's Word meant nothing to us. His promises have nothing to do with us. We have no spiritual life. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come to give us spiritual life, to unite us to the risen Christ, to take up residence in our hearts. Right? Just think about the sort of two aspects of conversion, repentance and faith. Both of them are wrought in us by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit gives us repentance. The Spirit shows us our sin and reveals to us how, how terrible and grievous it is. Remember at Pentecost when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches this Spirit-empowered sermon. What, what's the result? It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? The Spirit falls and, and conviction of sin happens. This is what Jesus promised back in John 16, where he says of the, the coming Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer.
Friends, all true repentance comes to us as a gift of the Spirit. He makes us spiritually alive and empowers us as spiritually alive people to see our sin and to turn from it. And with respect to faith, again, it's the Spirit who who gives us this gift. In his institutes, Calvin calls faith the principal work of the Holy Spirit. The Westminster Confession says this, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. The church has always understood that saving faith is made up of three elements. There's the facts, there's an understanding of the facts, and there's trust in the facts. And those first two elements, those can be obtained naturally, right? The demons, they know the facts. They they agree with the facts that Jesus is God's son who came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's that third element, that that trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation. That's what requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth that the, the gospel message that he proclaimed to them, he says it came in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, look, the the presence of saving faith in your life is evidence that the power of God has been brought to bear on you by his Holy Spirit. My friends, this is why Jesus says we must be born again. We must be born of of water and the Spirit. Right? referring back to that great promise in Ezekiel 36, where God promises to put his Spirit within us to cause us to walk according to his ways. Right there in in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, look, the wind blows wherever it wishes and and you can't see it, right? So it is with the Holy Spirit, right? What is it that we we can see when the wind blows? Well, not the wind itself, but we see what the wind moves around, right? Right? We can see the results of the wind And, and the results of the Spirit's moving in our life is repentance and faith. That's the way we're brought to spiritual life, the way we're washed and made to love God and and his ways. It's through the spirit of God living in us. So conversion is the work of our triune God. The father loves and sends. The son dies and rises. The spirit quickens and unites us to Christ, giving us repentance and faith. Let me just, I'm basically out of time, but let me just share with you one really quick way that I think looking at how God is active in our salvation helps me as a pastor. And that is, it gives me hope that absolutely anyone can be saved because because God is a willing Savior. If we make the mistake of thinking that conversion is most fundamentally about what we do, well, to be honest, we're going to have a bunch of people in our life that, that just have no hope of ever clearing that bar, Right? But if it's something that God has planned and accomplished and God himself applies to us, then we we know he must be willing to save or else he wouldn't go through all that effort. We know he's able to save anyone. Uh, On Wednesday nights, I I read the Bible with uh, a group of guys from a local recovery program that meets right around the corner from our church. And it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. So these guys are all unbelievers or new believers. And, uh, and so just getting to read the Bible with folks who don't like know it or understand it at all is a real joy. 
And there was there was one guy. His uh, his everyone's got a nickname. His nickname was Big Country, right? So you can just picture in your mind. Uh, the, the name says it all. And uh, he had no interest in the Bible, but his his sponsor told him that he should come, and so he started coming. And uh, and this guy, I won't go through it, but he had he had a he had a rough life, right? And uh, and so he came, and he wasn't very interested. But after a couple of weeks, he started asking questions, and then finally he pulled me aside, and he said. Um, he said, can I, can I talk to you? So we went down after Bible study to my office. And he was kind of a, kind of a quiet guy, but he said, look, um, let me see if I have something right. He said, my whole life, he's like, I know, for example, he's like, I, I knew from an early age that I wasn't going to be an NBA player, right? He's like, you just figure that out when you're a kid. That's not who I am. And he's like, and I, I knew I was never going to be like a lawyer or like, you know, be one of those like highly educated people that went and got a big job. I'm not going to be a doctor. He's like, I'm starting to get the impression, though, that I, that I could become a Christian. Because he's like, honestly, I've always looked at it just like that. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a basketball player. And I'm also not going to be a Christian because I'm just not that guy. But he's like, as we're reading the Bible, it seems, like, it seems like you're saying that Jesus actually wants people like me to follow him. I was like, I, <laughs> I think you get it. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. He was stunned. He's like, I understand the Bible. This is great. Right? <laughs> Friends, there's only hope for people like that and for people like you and me if salvation is of the Lord, right? If salvation is something that God accomplishes, that's the only way any of us can be saved. 